All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello again, and welcome to Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror Movies. I'm Screwhead Dan. And I'm Screwhead Andrew. And we are here once again to dissect, dismember, and discuss a horror movie for today's episode. Today's episode is going to be three movies in one. We are actually discussing the recent Fear Street trilogy. Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Fear Street Part 2, 1978. And Fear Street Part 3, 1666. A recent uh, trilogy of films that was released on Netflix one week after another. So we'll dive into that in just a little bit. But before we do so, Andrew, how are we doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty freaking great. Um, actually, I know I've told you this before. I just got a new job offered to me. Um, you didn't? Thank you, man. Or great, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was literally, it was like a whirlwind interview. I literally took the interview. They called me like after the interview, like, hey, this is great. We'd love to meet with you again. Linda, was that the one yesterday, offers. the reason why we couldn't record yesterday? Exactly, yeah. Like, like literally, uh, it, it went from interview to me going in for second interview to them calling me that night after checking all my references to, to offer me a job. <laughs> Nice, nice, nice. You want to say where it's at or what industry it's in, or it, it's it's back in the education industry, but now I'm actually in the um, the human resources department, which is my ultimate goal with my current position. Nice, uh, but like that was like ten years down the road if I won that job. So I was like, ooh, let me let me look somewhere else to make sure that I can get this quicker. And so and it's like honestly, it sounds like the perfect uh, perfect job, and it's crazy too because oddly enough. Um, the school I I applied to, my former principal after I left, he went to that school. So now he's there, and he found out I was applying. And he called the people immediately and was like, "Hire him." <laughs> so like, <laughs> that's great. It, it was crazy how that worked out. That's great. That's awesome. Well, congrats, man. I pre- I'm really really happy for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, yeah. How about yourself? Uh, speaking. Uh, speaking of job searching, yeah, do I, so I do have kind of a funny story. I think I told you about this one. So I interviewed for this one company last week, and I wasn't super excited about it. It was mostly OSHA complaining, uh, not complaining, OSHA compliance and training and that sort of thing. Um, I thought by the first interview went really, really well. I was talking with this new HR girl. I think she was an intern. She said she'd only been there for six months. Um, but I interviewed and I thought it went really, really well. And then I got an email a few days later basically saying, hey, we have concerned you for this position, but unfortunately we decided to move forward with another candidate. Uh, you know, best of luck on your job shirts and that sort of thing. And I was just like, you know what, that's fine. I wasn't super excited about this position anyway. I have interviews lined up. But I did send back an email saying, hey, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it just for my own personal growth and reflection. And then she emailed me back and said, uh, yeah, so we made a mistake. We actually want you to talk to the CEO of this company for an interview because we liked you so much. I am so sorry that we rejected you and now we're offering you the position back again. So, yeah, I don't know. Would you consider that a red flag? I think that's a red flag for me, personally. You, you know, it, it definitely sounds kind of weird. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like they, 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 you know, turned you down and then offered to somebody else. And the person's like, no, I don't want it. And then they're like, oh, well, actually, hey, you, come back over yeah, here. Yeah, it could be that. It could be th- the girl I interviewed with was screwing up and she just messed up the wrong people. There might've been another Dan in the candidates uh, list or something like that. But either way, I just, I got a sense for this company that they just did not have their shit together, which yeah, but uh, that's that. 
Yeah, anyway, but... I have a couple other ones that I'm a lot more excited for. And in the meantime, my job's doing all right. I'm going to Vermont, your home state, next week. Woo-woo-woo. Yeah. And it's the hospital you were born in, too, right? Yeah. The, the hospital is, and actually, the odd thing is, you will probably... Um, what? How, how long are you be there until? Until uh, Friday. So you'll be there on the day I was born, in the hospital I was born. Wow. 30 years later. Look at that. Wow. Wait, is your birthday next week? Or oh, is yeah. Like the day? August 27th, uh, I'll be 30 years old. I'll be an old man. Oh, jeez. Didn't know that. Well, great, great, great. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be there Friday. Uh-huh. Just look for the, the, the plaque of me somewhere on there. I'll be like, wow, this kid. You know what? I will stick up a plaque for you somewhere. So. Just do it. Like, you know, walk in and at some point, it's like, it happened. And they'll be like, what, what happened? They'll be like, Andrew's born. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Amazing. I'm going to have so much free time. Speaking of which, um, so, Andrew, you know, now we're talking about, you know, the time we've been born and, you know, our childhood and, you know, all of that good stuff right there. What types of books were you into as a kid? Like elementary school. Oh, my. I didn't really read elementary school. So I definitely did. I I assume this is the transition to something. And I watched the TV show of the Goosebumps. Um, But, no, as as a kid, I, like, didn't read. Um, I, I like, couldn't. I thought that I couldn't read. I had a really hard time reading. I don't know. It was was a difficult thing for me. Um, Mm. I I read some books. Uh, You know, again, on brand for Andrew. One of the uh, first books I ever read. Dan, do you have a guess as to what one of the first books I ever read was? Uh, something predator related. Alien vs. Predator Prey. It's the uh, novelization <laughs> of the first Alien vs. Predator comic. I carry that book around with me until I learned not how to learn until I like was able to commit to reading. I, I I literally held that book around and pretended to read it until I like one day I was like I should probably just read this, and then I read it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, oh that's funny. Ten years later, I realized I pronounced every name wrong in my head. Um, it was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, so that, that unfortunately, as as much as I I loved. I've read a lot of children's fiction as an adult. Um, as a child, I was not, not a big fan. <laughs> you know what? I was kind of the same thing, too, in terms of, like, reading children's fiction a lot more of it as an adult when I was teaching fourth grade than I actually did as a kid. But I ran a ton. I read a ton as a kid as well. Um, I was kind of the opposite in that aspect. I was always the one where my parents would, you know, make a run to pay the bills or, you know, go clothes shopping or something like that, you know, go to a store 10 minutes away and I would always grab like two or three books and then just sit in the back seat and just read them as, you know, we drove on over to that. And I always remembered I had to have multiple books because what if I got bored with one book and I needed to go to another one? And then most of the time it was the same books I was reading over and over and over again. Um, a lot of it were the Animorph books, which were oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but the other one, too, I really liked were the Goosebumps series by R.L. Stein. And this is our transition because our movie once again is the trilogy called uh, fear streets which was based on the separate series by rl stein now goosebumps i did absolutely love rl stein has just he's got the prose and tension and the creativity down in terms of what elementary school children are used to what they want out of a horror series and I really, I do love the Goosebumps series. I think he's very creative. I even love the Jack Black movie. Um, did you ever see that one? I did. I didn't, I didn't see the second one, but I did see the first one. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a fun little movie, and it was filled with a whole bunch of little throwbacks to people who read the books back and forth. I really love the cameo at the end, too. Did you catch that? Was that Errol Stein at the end? Yeah, so at the very, very one of the very last scenes where Jack Black, who plays the fictional R.L. Stein in universe, um, 
meets with another teacher who's played by the actual R.L. Stein, and then Jack Black goes Mr. Stein, and R.L. Stein goes Mr. Black, and then they both leave. <laughs> uh, did, wait, did you watch the TV show as well? I did, yes. Uh-huh. Oh my god, it's so good. Yes. And now, to be fair, the TV show was good, but it was no Are You Afraid of the Dark. Oh, well, nothing's ever Are You Afraid of the Dark, but like... No. Are You Afraid of the Dark definitely has a better on that front. But anyway, R.L. Stein, the pseudonym, um, made a lot of Goosebumps books, Ghost Rod, a lot of, there were a lot of them being ghostwritten as well, but uh, he did some very, very creative things. And one of the things that happened was afterwards he decided he wanted, as his um, Goosebumps fans started aging out, he decided he wanted to write a little bit more uh, adult books, and not so much in terms of like adult adult books, but more so the preteens who wanted to be adults, who were, you know, oh, Goosebumps is too childish for me. So he came out with the Fear Street series. And the Fear Street series are, once again, more thriller than actual horror, um, or like mystical horror like the Goosebumps were. They were a lot less tongue-in-cheek, and they usually dealt with a little more serious issues, um, like murder and serial killers and that sort of thing. Um, but he did come up with those, and I read a couple of those as a kid as well. Unfortunately, by that time, I had graduated to a little bit more adult books on that front, because, you know, when I was in high school slash middle school, I was reading, you know, completely phased out of that uh, stuff. But I do remember the ones I read. They were pretty good for what they were. Um, so that's why when Netflix announced that they were making a trilogy of movies based on Fear Street, I was actually a little bit nostalgic for it. So I wanted to go ahead and watch them. Now, this series, uh, once again, the three different movies, originally they were designed to be released in theaters one month after each other. So like the first one oh. would be released in August, the next one would be released in September, and the last one finally would be released in October, which I think is an absolutely stupid idea. Oh, like, fuck, dumbass. I wouldn't... <laughs> I would not watch these three movies after another in the movie theater. Like, maybe if it was, like, a whole big marathon, like a grindhouse sort of thing. But, no, I would not spend money to go see all three of these movies one after another. Dude, if I went and saw these movies in theaters, I'd be fucking pissed. I'd be so <laughs> angry. I would walk out of that movie so angry that I spent money on. Like, not these movies are terrible, but these are definitely, like, made for TV. These are definitely Netflix movies. These are not. Agreed. Like, these are... Yeah, I, I would be so angry. And, it, and especially if I went and saw the first one, you, I would guarantee I would not have seen the second one, which would have disappointed me later in life. But I would have, uh -huh. like, I would have walked out of the first one, pissed off, and would have not watched the other two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I 100% agree on that front. I think the switch to Netflix after they took the streaming rights because of uh, COVID, uh, they decided to release them all one week after another on Netflix. And I thought that was a fantastic idea. It really, really worked well for the series and how it works. So, no, I, think, I think that's a great idea because like, like, it made it just like a, like a TV release and stuff. Like, And I feel like a month, I feel like, is also too long between things. Like, I, I've literally, between the weeks I watched number one and two, I forgot so many things. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so, like, I, I could Im very much imagine watching the first one and the next month, the next one comes out and being like, oh, I don't really remember it very well. Like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. But uh, anyway, this is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we'll give a preemptive warning. I think we're going to spoil a lot of Fear Street, but I do want to give a basic premise on what the movies are, what it kind of feels like, and then we'll delve into spoiler territory from there. So actually, let me pull up my notes real quick. Um, 
So, yeah. Uh, the basis of the Fear Street trilogy, it deals with a mostly a lesbian couple throughout the times. Uh, we have Dina and Sam, who live in 1994, and they live in the town of Shadyside. Or Shadyvale? No, Sunnyside. Shady, sh- they live in Sunny Shadyside, and the other place is Sunnyvale. Okay, so Sunnyvale... And then Shady Side. I'm just going to call it Sunny and Shady because there's no way I'm going to be able to keep that up the whole time. Don't it's, blame uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, basically the sunny city, uh, sunny, sunny Vale is happy. Everyone always seems to be the best they can absolutely possibly be. Nothing ever bad happens there. Whereas in Shady Side, it's like the murder capital of the world. There's There's always serial killers rolling around. And as the story goes on, we find out the reasons as to why things are the way they are, why there's so many murders in that point, under the lens of these two teenagers, Dina and Sam, trying to find their feelings for each other and also trying to solve the curse that's afflicted this town. So, yeah. Um, The really cool thing I did like about this series is it's not completely put in the era of 1994. The first movie takes place in 1994. Second movie goes back into 1978 and deals with the curse in terms of that era. And then the last movie deals with how the curse started in 1666 and then also does a little bit of wrap-up um, in terms of the ending in 1994, resolving that plot line, which I did like. I always like the story through the ages lens in terms of the, how the film's look and see and feel and all of that stuff but uh i suppose we should go into first impressions before we dwell into spoiler territory what do you think andrew well i think before we dwell into uh, <laughs> uh spoiler territory yeah no I, I agree uh uh my first i don't i i was okay with the series i, I got like a, you could probably assume from my uh initial discussion about the theater release i I don't think they're anything amazing. I've heard a lot of praise for them. And I, I think the concept, I think there's a lot of praise for. I think what it did and the way it released. And honestly, the style of storytelling is praiseworthy. Like, I think it's very hard to write prequels to movies and have them be interesting. Um, but the way it developed this story, where instead of treating, like, 1978 and 1666 as prequels, they treated it more as a continuing story. Like, it's like a through line that happens to jig back and forth in time. I thought that was really smart because they could have easily made the first, like, you know, like a lot of movies, like, not, I can't even think of them off the top of my head, but you know, there's a lot of movies out there where they'll make a prequel and you'll be like, why do I care about this prequel? I already know what, you know, what the future holds. So this is dumb. Like fucking Black Widow. There we go. Terrible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, like, you know, where, where they do that. Um, and it, it's just, there's no stakes in this matter. But the, the storytelling they did here where they made a separate movie that expands upon what's happening in the present, but also you know, is just, you know, it's, it's a, a stop along the way to the ultimate conclusion, I think was great. It's a great idea. And I think that the way that they released these movies, like a TV series, like a mini series, it's basically just a limited series, was great. Um, I know that mm-hmm. was, it was smart. Um, but again, I think the story to me was lacking. Uh, the characters were not very great. Um, I thought there was maybe one or two char- good characters in the first part. I think, and I think you'll probably, you probably agree with me on this, and the second movie was by far the, the, best and i think it's because it oh, borrows so much from yeah. the camp like it, it takes mm-hmm. from it's basically friday the 13th but from the perspective of like a single camper essentially i thought that was the best part um but and then the third part we'll talk i thought it was a garbage fire um, <laughs> um but yeah i got i you know i think it, i think it's worth watching i think it 
I definitely see it as a kid series. Like for all the blood and gore that's going on, I still see it as like maybe in high school, middle school. I think middle school, I would have loved it. Um, I think this is like a mm-hmm. Gremlins type movie where like if you watch it when you're young, I think Gremlins is amazing. But, you know, when you watch it when you're young, it's that perfect amount of gore to like get into it and like it. Um, but I, I can just see it in, in my age. Currently, I don't I don't appreciate it I think, as much as I would if I was younger. Um, yeah. And in terms of Fear Street and the impact it has on the cultural zeitgeist at large, I, I feel like the movie's really nailed that tone in terms of, yeah, this is a transitional horror movie from, you know, let's say you're a preteen and Goosebumps is too bleh for you, but you still want to get a little bit more interested in some more adult movies. I feel like this is really good at hitting that sweet spot, just like the Fear Street books did. So mm-hmm. I did like that. And I, I do want to kind of collaborate with you on the um, style of storytelling, which I 100% agree in terms of there are holes that the very first movie leaves that the second movie, even though it takes place in the past, fills in. So the movie, the, the, the pacing is a steady pace all the way through. You never feel like, okay, well, crap, we have to stop right here and, you know, spend an hour and a half dealing with what happened to this character in the prequel. Like, not only do we explore that character's background a little bit more, but at the same time, the movie, the plot moves forward because we get additional revelations on what's happening to the town and the main conflict. And then finally, it all comes to a conclusion at the end. So it, it does feel like all three movies, it's never stopping and pausing to go back. It's a pretty continuous reveal the whole way through, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing I will add kind of on the end of that is like, I think what kind of makes it cringe for me, um, and I think the, the, which might add to some people's enjoyment of it, is I think it has some of that CW factor to it. Um, yes. <laughs> where they try to like sexualize, like the romances, like the romances are a very big part of this and they're those childish romances. Like uh, the, the main romance, and I think the brother and Kate's romance in the first half just kind of feel like here's some romances that are just kind of thrown in there. Like again, not to praise the second one, so much, but I think this the romance, quote unquote, in the second one felt more natural to me than any of the other ones did. Um, and I think that that is like kind of what again turns me off is the CW feel, like the Riverdale feel to it at times, um, where it's you know edge at times and teen snark, but also this weird romance and like stupid freaking references, like the Konami code thing made me want to brain myself. <laughs> um, but but I, I think that there is a market for that. I think there are people who definitely enjoy that and I completely, that's totally, you know, it's, there's, you know, different generational gaps in terms of what we find entertaining. Absolutely. So, uh, do we want to delve into, uh, spoiler territory at this point? Uh, give them all a spoiler warning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I can't think of anything else to go into prior. Yeah. I think at this point it's, yeah, probably spoilers. So actually. Sounds good. So this, yes. Uh, one thing I was thinking of, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, yeah, so I'll say it right now because I did. Uh, this type of um, storytelling, I think, would work really great for the Ender's Game series. <laughs> Not this isn't really a spoiler, but anybody who wants to hear this as well, like this idea of like the back and forth. I would love to see them do a Ender's Game three part trilogy like this, where the first half is Ender's story, the second part is Bean's story. You know, back drop in time, speeding up to when they said the Ender's Game, and then the third part being the conclusion of the story. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah, maybe a little Lee, bit of Peter and Val in there too. Yeah, like like Lee Lee Jenick, the guy who wrote this stuff. Um, I would love to see like I I know sorry she I, I would love to see her 
write write more. I would, I would love to see her write more. Um, for, for all the criticism I gave prior, I would love to see her do more because I think that this this is a this show is really good storytelling um, and good writing, um, especially again uh, the back and forth that takes place. I think that shows a lot. So I would love to see them do more. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing too. This is definitely this is weird because it's a horror movie that does a lot of things new, but at the same time, it really doesn't. It stays by the it stands by the cliches. But at the same time, just the way they tell the story is very unique. And I did like that. So anyway, time to go into spoiler territory. Yeah. All right. So warning in three, two, one, go. All right. So um, in terms of how these movies go in, I think we'll just sort of talk about the general plot. Uh, let's start off with 1994. So I think we both kind of had the same impression on that one in terms of 1994 is definitely the weakest of the trilogy. Uh, I go back and forth between 1994 and 1666. <laughs> okay. Like I will say, actually, nineteen ninety four might not be weak. Uh, sorry, nineteen ninety four might be, in my mind, might be better than sixteen sixty six, just because the freaking flashback of sixteen. I wanted to like rip my eyes out during the, during the flashback of sixteen sixty six, and I'll explain that later. Um, but yeah, no, okay. like, I, I thought it wasn't great. It wasn't remarkable, but yeah. Yeah. Keep going. So the director wanted to go for kind of a scream sort of a vibe for it, which is why she had Maya Hawk in the very beginning get killed off just almost immediately. Big name star. Oh, there she is. She's dead now. Um, yeah. And then the biggest thing that struck me about 1994, and I think this is a very common consensus, is I fucking hated Dina. Like, she was one of the worst protagonists I've ever come across in a horror movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, And... I, I'd love to talk about the cold open in a second and see how you thought about it. But I, I, to me, like the thing I kept thinking about with her was, you know, when we did detention, mm-hmm. I, I thought a lot about her as a, as Riley from detention, except like not like Riley was stupid. It, like, not stupid, again, but Riley had like dumb moments where you kind of got to laugh at her. But otherwise, but she, she like I feel like she was the parody of Dina's character in this movie, where Dina, but Dina was everything straight and serious. Riley was that mm-hmm. same kind of character, but like you know, the allowance was there for it to be kind of funny because they realized how weird it would be to go full hard on with that character. And I think that was Dina's Yeah, detention did not take itself as seriously as Fear Street does, so. Yeah. But I feel like like she was just such a negative character. And I get it, you know, you're in this depressing town and stuff, but it's also one of the, it's such a stereotypical character of like, oh, look at this disenchanted teen in their town where everything's shit and they, you know, no one knows what's going on. I feel like it's such a overused character and just to see it, that be all her character is was kind of lame. I don't know. Yeah. And especially since the first two thirds of the movie were really just, I couldn't. Yeah. The first two thirds of the movie in terms of before they actually find the curse and before they start fighting off against it. um, Yeah. It's just the drama, the teen drama that's going on back and forth, which is very true to the book series. But at the same time, I just, it was a very, a hard start to the series. Yeah, it's really, really difficult to get through that. Well, I feel like Dina just wasn't likable. Like, like she's kind of like I think that she was supposed to be kind of sassy and stuff, but she like just was a jerk a, a good amount of the time in the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Other than other than to her brother, she was just kind of a jerk. Um, and like when she ends up meeting up with Sam again, like her obsession with her, like the fact that they got together later felt kind of weird because it almost seemed kind of creepy, <laughs> uh, and that kind of turned me off. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. They didn't feel like a very realistic couple um, in terms of how that worked. Which you know, they're they're teenagers, and 
That's true. You know, yeah. It's probably not going to last. But at the same time, it's just I really I was not rooting for them at all, which was the crux of a lot of the conflicts. The base of the conflict is Sam discovers the accidentally discovers portions of the bones of Sarah Freer, who was this witch who lived in 1666, um, who apparently bestowed a curse upon the entire town of Shadyside. And when she discovers those bones, all of the past serial killers who have been corrupted by this curse have to track her down and will not stop until she dies. So the whole second half of the movie is them trying to find out a way to save Sam from being killed by these serial killers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's just like once we actually get some vision in terms of where we want the story to go, when it's not just team drama, but it's more so, okay, we have to save Sam... How do we save Sam? Well, we have to kill her, you know, and bring her back to life. That, you know, it, it became a lot more interesting, too. And I did like the last third of this movie with the whole supermarket scene and the, you know, bathroom and how they have to plan together to defeat these monsters and that sort of thing. And they do a decent job. It's too bad that the monsters are really, really strong and they keep on coming back even if you kill them. Mm-hmm. So, But I will say that that is kind of nice and refreshing in the sense that I feel like the kids are pretty smart in this. Like... It's it, it's one of those movies where the kids are aware of the tropes, and so they kind of talk them out mm-hmm. and try to use them. Um, so I thought I thought that was really good, um, and I, I know you and I talked a little bit earlier about like how the kills definitely kind of pick up towards the end. There's one kill we'll probably talk about towards the end, um, but I thought that a lot of the adults kind of get dispatched very quickly and easily, um, which you know again that's not uncommon for these kind of movies. I think any kind of slasher that that will happen. Uh, the adults are kind of expendable in the sense that, you know, they, they're they not our main characters. They're just kind of to add to the death toll. Um, so those were kind of stereotypically not very impressive. Um, but I did want to hop back uh, before we went too far and talk about that cold open. Like like you mentioned, it's very similar to Scream in the sense that we see a known actor or actress in this case. Um, uh, and she's known, again, from a, a uh, Netflix series, which is interesting. Um, I did not know that this was originally going to be released uh, not on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I didn't know it was going to be released in theaters, uh, but the fact that the girl from Stranger Things was in it, like, again, I think most people who watch Netflix recognize her, so that kill was kind of shocking. Uh, but Dan, what, what did you think about that opening kill? I thought it was a great tribute to Scream, honestly, in terms of, again, this character, probably the most famous actress in this entire series, in the entire all three movies. Uh, they bring her in, they kill her off. It was very, you know, psycho slash Scream thing to do, so... Uh, why? What do you think of it? I, I, I don't get it. I said like, that was the same thing. I felt bad for her. I was like, oh man, like I kind of like this character. And I like that she's holding the Fear Street book. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> that was funny too. I don't know if I can ever take the sky and the skull mask in the onesie <laughs> seriously. Yes, <laughs> I was just like, I was like, wow, what, like a modern, what a modern horror movie. But at the same time, I feel like so many teens, and to sound like an old man, so many teens wear those things around and stuff. And I'm like, I could see that being kind of creepy. Be like, oh, what's yeah. This? that team with a knife doing over there like i don't know i could could see that being a thing (laughs) and i did like how they really did dwell into the culture of the era each one of the serial killers they were dressed up in a different way like ruby lane the uh, girl who's saying you always you always hurt the one you love um she was dressed up straight as a housewife from the 60s and the 70s guy he was full-on lumberjack that sort of thing um they, they really leaned into the culture to a fault like, can we just talk about the soundtrack? <laughs> like, I, 
I, I can't remember too much. I just remember it changing a lot. <laughs> oh my god now the first two movies 1994 and 1978 like they tried to cram in as many songs from that era as they could and it got to the point where it just got obnoxious it was just like okay it, it felt like suicide squad levels of okay what other song from this era can we cram in in this time they went way too hard on it and you mean Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad, the classic yes. great film that was just yes. released, because that was amazing. The David Ayer suicide, <laughs> original Suicide Squad with Will Smith, yes. Uh-huh. Good, okay, good, 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 good. Yes, yes, Because yes, the yes. new one's amazing. Never, never say yes, anything bad is. about it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, no, yeah, I, I do agree. I, I remember specifically in part two when they, when they, when they put on a, what's the song from Supernatural? Carry On My Wayward Son? And they like yes. they turned it on and put up the microphone to it. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> it was it was so. Is that diegetic when it's in the film? Is uh, I was just like, "That's really weird." Uh, okay, movie. Um, but yeah. Um, so, um, what do you think about the ending? Like, what was your favorite kill in the first movie? Would you say? Uh, I, think- I think we both agree the bread slicer is the best. And oh yeah! Not only that, the bread slicer was my favorite death in the entire movie, but I really liked it too because up until that point, none of the main characters had died. Like I honestly expected them all to make it out just fine, no deaths whatsoever. You know, the main group of friends, especially since the girl who gets killed in the bread slicer death—I uh, forgot her name—but you know, she had that romance scene with uh, Dina's brother, and I was fully expecting that to develop and see how that happens. And just like, nope, two of the main characters are killed off within the span of like thirty seconds which i fucking mm-hmm. loved that was no. like okay good oh no I, I completely agree and i was surprised a little while too because when we were first introduced to them like you know her and him and the other guy who died they were both like our you know our deviant too right she sells drugs he also sells drugs they're hooking up with people that was kind of like how they presented but also again like in that kind of tame way to a degree where like she sells drugs but it's very kind of a clean selling kind of thing uh Mm-hmm. you know she has nurse betty that she goes and gets her drugs from like it was very it was a very like i don't know it's like kid-friendly version of selling drugs but you know it was toned down a little bit so i i marked them both as dead in the beginning but then yeah towards the end i kind of forgot about that or kind of like i was like no nah, like, they'll probably make it through um when they, as they turned out to be kind of nice people i kind of thought they were kind of going against the character tropes they were set up as initially and the fact that they like, accept his brother or her brother immediately was interesting um and you know i feel like not very common in those kind of movies where the the stereotypical way for them to do it is to, uh, you know, like have them not be, make fun of the brother. Like, oh, we don't want this kid with us. But they pulled him right in um, and listened to him, which is crazy. Uh, but, oh, yeah, I thought her death was brutal, but also kind of sad, too, because, like, Kate steps in to help Dina and Sam, like, you know, do their thing. And, like, she, you know, she puts up a fight. She, like, flamethrowers the guy and then, like, you use, like, a muffin tin to block his knife and, like, gets him. And then she just kind of gets, like, face planted into, like, a cake or something like that. And then, like, you can see her get put on and her head gets sliced up. And it's kind of, like, a defeating death to a degree because I feel like she she's the character we see the most time with in a fight, essentially, and, like, you want her to win. And I think that's the only moment of tension I really felt in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, no, she's definitely the most badass character out of all of them in terms of the first movie, so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, um, and that kind of brings me back to what you mentioned before. I mean, the characters in this movie—they're—they're they're pretty fucking smart. Like they do—they figure it out. They set up traps. They play around with it as much as they can. They utilize what they have available. So, though, actually, that in that reminder, though, the fact that that one guy gets axed in the head is kind of crazy because, like, freaking Baghead does not 
creep around. He fucking sprints everywhere he goes. So you would have heard him running at you with an axe. So <laughs> bad on you, buddy. But again, everyone saw that coming though. Like that was like one of those scenes where like he was standing there perfectly positioned, like, oh everything's okay. And then like yes. that was that was and coming. The camera angle zooms out and then just like, oh yep, here we go. Here uh, we go. And I, I will say uh, the, yeah. the blood in this movie I I almost feel like so this movie's pretty bloody. Like they, they have some pretty like bloody scenes. They have some pretty bloody knife things. And it's almost to a, to a detriment, I think, at times, because um, I have a, a specific scene in the second part. But I feel like it almost seems like it's trying too hard at sometimes with the blood and, like, the focus on the blood, where it feels like a, 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 a janky sci-fi movie where, like, he gets the axe in the head and the blood spurts everywhere. Or, like, you know, like, I feel like, again, the bread slicer scene, they did a good job of not overdoing it, but there's a lot of, like, knife in stuff scenes in here and, like, plunging knives in people where I feel like it's a little bit over the top. And I think it's because mm-hmm. they want to be like, look at how serious we are. But mm-hmm. it kind of, I think, contrasts with the rest of the film um, at times. I, I also know. like how, I mean, uh, the whole medical aspect of this movie is definitely not very realistic. I, I do like how Sam drowns and she dies and she comes back to life. What was it, an EpiPen? Yeah. In terms of how she came like, back to life on that one? Yeah, yeah. They, 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 well, they... I think they, they give her like three EpiPens because, you know, adrenaline. Uh-huh. And then that doesn't work, so she gives her CPR. <laughs> so, you know, that makes sense. CPR is what you do like when somebody drowns. It's like a thing. Uh, so maybe like... I guess so, yeah. Maybe, clear the, like, maybe clearing the lungs of water is what you want to do before you put the EpiPen in them. Like, maybe that could have helped out. Uh, but, I, I, you know, again, I don't know anything about that. Um, yeah, but, that was very much a, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure. But anyway. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so and the film wraps up... Uh, which I thought was, I will say the ending I kind of liked in the sense that, so the film wraps up with, uh, after this happens, um, they decide to not tell the town about it. Like, they, they basically decide, like, I think it's like, let it kind of die, let the story of Seraphir die by, like, letting Kate and the other guy take the fall for it. And there's some really interesting scenes where, uh, you know, Sheriff Good or whatever, even, like, is like, hey, like, I... Are you okay with her saying that, like, fucking your friends did this? Like, that seems kind of fucked up. Uh, and she's like, yeah, but they're dead, so whatever. Which I thought was like a kind yeah. of a harsh, but also like it made sense. But then later on, when we get a reveal later, it makes me really confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like it's one of those things where like I thought it was a great ending for this movie, but then later on, I'm like, what the fuck? Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, so f- okay, cool. f- final thoughts. If you were to give this this the first part a number out of 10, what would you say? I would say the first half, definitely not very good. The second half, a lot better. I would say overall, probably about a 7 out of 10. Like, there are some moments that definitely stuck with me, but overall, I, I definitely felt like it's the weakest of a three by far. Okay. Uh-huh. I, All right. I'm going to do a five. Uh, what about you? I'll give, I give it a five. Give five. it a five. Okay. All right. Cool. But like, All right. But, so but, let's but, move on to... Wait, oh, go ahead. Sorry, like, like you, though, I would love to divide it. I'd love to be like five for the first half, seven for the second half, but then I don't want to average them out to six because that seems too nice. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah. So, uh, number two. So, Dan, set us the scene. Where's number two take place? What's the deal with number two? So, one of the things that they find out in the first movie is that there is a woman named um, Constance, uh, or not Constance, uh, Christine Berman, um, who is basically the sole survivor of the slaughter from 1978. And Dina and company... They call her, they say, hey, we need your help. We have to figure out exactly what happens to, you know, to survive this onslaught of all these serial killers coming back to life and just telling us. And they eventually do meet up with her at the very end of the first movie. 
and she says, oh, it can't be stopped. But 1978, she reveals exactly what happened to her in 1978 and what the serial killer was there, how she survived, and then also give a little bit of a reveal in terms of who the bad guy particularly is. And so, so what, we should, what I also mentioned is at the end of the first movie, Sam does get possessed. Uh, yes. So after they bring her back, they think everything's okay, and then Sam gets possessed. Uh, and one thing I just real, realized, uh, actually, I'll, I'll bring it up at the end, so you keep going, sorry. No, that's pretty much it. Um, so yeah, she does get possessed, and they talk to Christine to figure out how it is. Christine obviously has been massively affected by her um, issues or her experiences with the summer camp in 1978. And the second movie is very Friday the 13th inspired. It takes place in a summer camp. Um, there's camp counselors. A lot of campers die. It definitely gets that vibe. Um, yeah. So let's delve into that one. So what did you think of 1978? Sorry, what did you say? Uh, what did you think of 1978 overall? Oh, oh, thank you, Sarah. Bring it up there for a second. Uh-huh. I Again, I, I thought it was the strongest of them. Um, I, you know, I, I think you and I both agree that, like, you know, we both like the slasher era, and this is the most, like, Friday the 13th-esque. And I felt like it was just the strongest plot. I... I I'm looking at it right now, and it looks like, um, so they have different writers for each of these, or screenwriters in stories. So this one, it looks like, um, this was also, excuse me, by Lee Jenick, but the screenwriter in this one um, was a man named Zach Alkowitz, or Alkowitz, I apologize, I'm pronouncing your name terribly. Um, and uh, Lee Jenick and Phil Graziday both were involved um in the first and second part, or sorry, first and last parts, but this is the one that Zach's involved in. So I almost want to credit that slightly to them. No offense to the other two, um, but it, it just felt like a more a stronger story, and I think it's also because it is the middle chapter that gets to be its own thing that may have allowed that to happen. Um, but I thought you know, it's the definitely the most standalone out of all of them. Yeah, and I, and I think part of it too is the tropiness, or because we know the camp slasher story so well. I think that, you know, our minds kind of get to fill in some of maybe what might not be there. So maybe it has similar character writing to the first movies. But in a movie taking place in the late 90s, we assume different characters and different writing styles than the movie in in like the 70s and the 80s. Because we know that those movies aren't very well written and the characters, we don't expect as much from them. So it could have been actually a matter of, you know, our perception and what we expected from the film as well that could be making it seem better. Uh, But I I just felt like it was an overall better film. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree, too. And I think one of the big things that that made me, well, not only the setting, because I absolutely love the camp setting, but I also felt the um, relationship between Ziggy and her sister. Um, Well, Christine, the survivor of this movie, um, she's called by Ziggy in this film, and it's kind of a reveal later on in terms of, I personally thought that Christine Jillian Jacobs, grown up, was the older sister throughout the entire movie. And then when the older sister dies at the very end and it's revealed to be uh, Sadie Sink, uh, Ziggy, I was just like, oh shit, that's a bit of a reveal. Did you get that impression at all or? Oh no, God, no, no. I was so surprised at the end where, uh, when, uh, when what's her name, our, our main girl was like, you were Ziggy? I was like, fuck, of course she fucking was. Who, who the fuck are you? Like, what's wrong with you? Um, though I also love the idea of like telling this story. Is she like, and then my sister made out with her boyfriend in the shitter. Like, yes. like, how do you tell that part of the story? <laughs> how are you like when you're when you're saying that? Like, you're just like, what? Like, 
what's I would just love to hear that described. Like that, there's so many elements. Where I'm just like, how's the story being told? Like, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I agree. I I thought that yeah, I thought the sister and Ziggy were great. I thought they were great characters, and even um, like the side characters. I, I apologize, I'm forgetting all of their names, but like her boyfriend. Uh, sorry, the uh, the older Tommy, sister's boyfriend. Yeah, Tommy. I thought like uh-huh. like what, what he was going through. I could see it happening, and then like um. The, the older sister's friend who, like, you know, the kind of wayward friend and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like there was a lot of stuff going on where, like, I felt more invested in these characters than I did in the previous Oh, definitely. Um, and it was weird because I feel like they had less screen time in general, even in that first movie. And there's less time developing because the killing happens pretty quick. This movie, like, jumps into it. Uh, oh, definitely. Like, within the first, like, 15 minutes already, we have uh, the nurse attacking uh, Tommy. So, mm-hmm. And I, I thought what was interesting, too, is they definitely showed the rivalry, the uh, shady side versus sunny side, um, which I thought was going to develop into something later on in the film, which I'll talk about at the end. But I liked it because it showed that the kids knew that there was a difference, but it was, but to them it was still a game. Like, the mm. kids knew, like, okay, something's going on with shady side. These kids are kind of losers and dumb. But it was also kind of like a fun thing. Like, they were ragging on the shady siders, but it wasn't like a, the fuck you shady side that we get in, in, the, in the first movie. It was still yeah, like kind of a friendly rivalry, but like a friendly rivalry, like you know, of like we're gonna beat you, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, um, I, f- I really like the kills in this movie too. Like they were not afraid to shy away from a lot of stuff. Like the one scene where all the little kids are in the cabin and the Tommy barges on in, and we don't see anything, but uh, you know, we see the aftermath. Like people get slaughtered. All oh. the time in this movie, uh-huh. dude. Tommy and his axe in this movie. So, um, so, so in the movie, uh, you know, like uh, Ziggy's sister and them go into the go and find the the cabin, and Tommy gets possessed. And when he axes somebody, like in so many movies, which is probably made us more realistic, but in so many movies, when they axe somebody and they're down, in this movie, Tommy's like, "Let me axe you like eight times just to make sure that this is like you are good and dead." Because <laughs> he just goes to town on so many people, and you're just like, "Wow!" Like, and even the end, the end, he just like. Her sister gets axed like twenty times in the chest, mm, and it keeps it just coming keeps to going it. over and over and over again, which is insane. Because like, wow, her yes. chest would be caved in, and like, would be like, she's like <laughs> definitely dead. Uh, but I uh, yeah, Tommy and his axe. I thought I agree. I think the kills were great, um, and I think that the backstory we get here is pretty cool too. I think that the, like to me, discovering the villains always fun, um, and I liked the way that that happened. Um, so Dan, you know, do you want to go into that? Like what's, what's going on at the camp? So like, we know that killing, killings are happening at the camp. What happens at the camp? Mm-hmm. So once again, it is something to do with this Sarah Freer's bones. Whenever somebody touches the bones or disturbs the bones in any sort of way. And again, at this point in the movie, it's not a complete set. Um, it's just a whole bunch of little bones scattered all over the place. But um, this is the one with the hand, right? They find the hand somewhere. Yeah, well, this is the one where there's the legend of her, of as long as her hand is free, she will keep killing or something. Yeah, that's right. So they take the hands. Um, Tommy touches the hand, and that's what happens. Um, so he eventually gets possessed. Um, and we find out that there's some sort of, like, grotesque heart in the caverns below the um, camp that is spawning these serial killers and demons and that sort of thing. And then any serial killer has their name written on a wall. So like there's a whole list of them back and forth. So the crux of this, once our characters figure it out, is they want to return Sarah Fear's hand to her bones under the tree. And they eventually do, but nothing happens. The serial killers don't stop. And unfortunately, everybody dies. 
Uh, that's pretty much what they do in this movie, right? Well, yeah. So, so um, yeah. So they end up fighting. Yeah. So like, uh, they go. They find the the burial or the ground where like the fire is, and the demon was summoned. And yeah, all, all the names on the wall. If your name is carved on the wall, you become possessed and you start murdering people. Um, but uh, yeah. So they they go and, and they realize that like, hey, it's probably Seraphir is killing people because she wants she was unrightfully murdered. Maybe she actually was a witch, and her hand mm-hmm. she cut her hand off at this place her hand was cut off by a demon or something and so they have to return that um so they end up finding that returning it when they go to return it under the hanging tree uh which is weird that that's still up there and around uh they find a rock that says sarah fear lives so they don't actually find the body um in in this past time so it, basically everybody dies um not everybody but a bunch of kids die um conveniently only the shady siders die um are getting murdered by tommy as he goes through and just rampages everything um and when they go to do this, uh, it's Ziggy and her sister. They make it there, and nothing happens. So basically, her the sister's like, Ziggy, you fucking run. I'm going to, like, you know, take the brunt of this, essentially, and just mm-hmm. gets destroyed. Um, because as they're waiting in the tree, we see all these other people. So we see the axe man from the first movie, who we realize is Tommy. So Tommy becomes the axe man. And we also see this... Uh, boy with like a baseball bat and a guy the milkman with a weird face and i wanted to find out more about that boy like what was his deal we never find out unfortunately I, i'm assuming I was he really was the humpty dumpty killer because like it, in the in the beginning first part of the movie there's like all these different articles one of them talks about the humpty dumpty i feel like he looks mm-hmm. like a humpty dumpty kid to me <laughs> he looks very humpty dumpty yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah so they they just get like i think she gets some the milkman i think stabs her but then her sister just gets repeatedly axed in the chest over and over again as they like reach out towards each other. It's really kind of sad. And um, then uh, within the films, the context of the film, while they're going on, uh, Ziggy does develop a relationship with Sheriff Good as a child. So he's like little good, mm-hmm. mini good. Uh, and he he comes out at the end and finds them bleeding out and uh, basically staunches Ziggy's wound and like makes sure she's okay. Uh, and she, she ended up surviving, which is why in the first film, they're like, hey, we read that the only person who survived was somebody who died and was brought back, was resuscitated. And that was yes. Ziggy at that time. And that definitely was a moment where the very first time I watched that, I was just like, okay, so now we've got the adrenaline for drowning and now we've got CPR for a stab wound. But this one makes a lot more sense based on a reveal in part three. So I'm going to I'm gonna give the film credit for that one. Yeah, and... And, and so what I find hilarious, though, okay, so so this, then we jump back into the present day. So this movie ends in the present day after that again. Everybody's dead. Um, basically, all the shady siders are dead at the camp. Um, all the sunny siders actually left on a bus and just left them behind, <laughs> which is great. Um, but again, yeah, so the film ends back in the present day after telling this story. And they're like, oh, he's got to go put the hand back. Easy. So they go to put the hand back. And the film ends, uh, the first, second film ends with Dina in the present day um, putting the hand back with the corpse with and, the rest of the body and then mm-hmm. getting a flashback and that's what happened and that's yes. which leads us into the third movie um mm-hmm. but the thing i find hilarious at the end of this movie is so what, what did we learn right um we learned that uh her coming back didn't it, it wasn't that's not what stopped them from trying to kill her right it, it was her basically locking herself up in there and the fact that uh, you know the the devil was satisfied for the moment right like uh, mm-hmm. the, the pact had been fulfilled um, with the deaths and the blood. Um, <laughs> which means that fucking they made Sam drown to death and stuff for no fucking reason. <laughs> like, that entire that entire thing they did was utterly pointless. Which is, again... Wait a second, no, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. So, so 
they did stop going after her once she died. Like, she was still possessed, but they weren't being actively hunted by the serial killers after she drowned, right? Well, that happened, but, like, we have no reason to believe that changes anything. Because, like, Tommy and them were killing everybody oh, yeah. fucking saw. Uh-huh. Tommy and them was killing anybody. Like, there was no reason to kill. Like, there was no reason to go after Ziggy or go after it. Like, like it, again, like, what I'm assuming still is we're going off this weird theory about Sarah Fear in the bones. Mm-hmm. The, that's... We'll talk about it in this next... Because the third movie okay. makes this even more confusing. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, third movie kicks off, and we are back in 1666. Ooh, 666, the number of the beast. Uh, yes. And back in, like, Salem Witch Trial times, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Are they in Virginia? Where the fuck are they? Where is this? Where does this take place? <laughs> are we in Massachusetts? Where are we? Virginia? Uh, where are we? Somewhere in the in the early colonies, I'm assuming. We're, we're somewhere in Pilgrim Arrows, yep. Uh-huh. It feels New England-y to me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it does. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe we live near Shadyside. Who knows? Maybe it's like Springfield. There's a Shadyside in every town, every state. Um, <laughs> but, so yeah, so we, we experience and we start to see, uh, we see a story of Sarah Fear's life um, in 1666. And Dan, first impressions of, of this section. Not, not Let's not talk about the, the jump forward in time. Flashback in time, what did you think? But the first half, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I really, I felt it was better than 1994. I felt the characters were a lot more likable. I mean, it's it's the same actors. They're just playing different characters at this point. Like, Dina's actress is actually playing Sarah Fear at this point. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. But I felt like it was an okay reveal in terms of what happens and what the reasoning was and how the curse got started. I'm assuming you don't feel the same way. I think the story could have been okay. I don't think the story itself was bad. But I don't know if they're going for reincarnation or what. But why the fuck were we seeing Dina and all of her friends back in time? Like, Dina kind of makes sense. But we do see that there is a Sarah Fear. So this entire movie, this entire section is acted out by the actors from the first part. And I just... Okay. And that, like, I could not stand that. I could... (laughs) That was so fucking dumb. Because, like, you can't take these characters seriously during this. Like, you just can't. Like... Like, again, like, it's more of, it's basically just Dina being Dina, but being Sarah Fear. And it's like, all the characters are just themselves, but putting on really annoying accents. And like... Oh, yeah. And, and like, they all look nice. Again, it's that CW thing where they all, like, it felt like we were in a fucking Wishbone movie because everybody was so fucking clean and shit back then. And their clothes (laughs) were all nice. And I was like, that's what it, like, it literally, like, watching an episode of Wishbone was what it felt like. Except, like, because, <laughs> like, like, everybody was just, like, walking around and be like, oh, hello there, Mr. Briar Patchman. Like, it was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't take it seriously. And it made the drama. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because I saw a couple of seasons of American Horror Story where they kind of go for that as well. Um, where they, gosh, um, they, they just use the same actors for different roles in terms of how it goes. It's completely different characters, though. Like, I don't. It's not a reincarnation thing. You well, do get that, right? Like, yeah, not no, reincarnating or anything? No, that, that's what I assume, too, that they're not, which is weird because in the book series, it sounds like they are reincarnated. Like, not they're reincarnated, but it's a family line. Like, in the book series, it sounds like the main characters are descendants of the goods or the fears. But in this, I don't get the impression other than the goods. Like, the goods, the goods lineage tracks. But no, like, like mm-hmm. Dina's not related to, to the fears. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is, which again, like, if that was the case and they're going for that reincarnation, cool. 
but it's so weird that it's not. If they if they were trying to hammer home that, because again, like I've seen some of the American Horror Story again, I think fucking terribly written show and acted half the time. Oh yeah, but, I hate it. But uh-huh. when they switch characters, it's like whatever. It's a different season. It's like a fun trope, cool. But here, like, mm-hmm. there should be a meaning behind this choice, and there really isn't. If it was just Dina and we saw her back in time, I'd understand it because like okay, she's experiencing Sarah Fear's life. I could understand mm-hmm. her inhabiting that body. But the fact that her brother is there and it's the same brother and the fact that like we never see their mother (laughs) and their dad's still there again and um, Kate's there again. And again, not to be like questioning race during that time, but I think back in that time that might be kind of interesting for all these different because there's a few different races being represented there, which I don't think probably was the puritanical people who came across the sea (laughs) during that time. Mm but it, it it just felt like a really weird choice and it was distracting because like you saw Kate and uh other drug guy and like they were kind of like her friends again and they were like again the only the kind of nice people in the town again and it was it was really weird. And the fact that she again is in love with Max or Samantha, whatever her name is, like that yeah, Max is the girl from uh, Stranger Things and Stranger Things. But the fact that her and Sam, again, and Sam. Were, had this relationship again, and that's the impetus for what happens, it's just, it it felt too convenient. And I don't know, it, again, it felt very, it felt like they were trying to do something or they weren't trying to do something, and I couldn't tell which one it was. And either way, it was distracting and didn't make sense. Like, I felt like they could have easily told this story, this story without the same characters there. And maybe it could have been, maybe I would have forgiven it more if that was the case. But seeing everybody there just didn't make sense to me. And again, it would it would have made sense too, and we'll talk about the reveal later, if the reason this was happening was because these people, was because she was punishing these people for what they did to her. But knowing that's not the case, the reincarnation thing, none of that like makes any sense. And it kills me. I'm... Yeah, I, I really didn't get any sense of reincarnation at all. I was just like, oh, they're using the same actors and actresses because probably to save money or probably to get those people some extra work or that sort of thing. And then I just kind of turned my brain off and left it at that. It's like, I really, it was not a big deal to me at all. So I'm a little bit surprised to hear that from you. Oh, I I, so. I couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> I, I, it was just, I just didn't care. I was just like, okay, let's fast forward to the end of this movie. Let's just like keep going the only thing that i slightly liked the funny thing is the only thing i kind of liked is um the only character i was like oh this person's okay is the um uh the good guy because i didn't realize at first he was the same actor because they actually made him look different solomon good yeah like solomon good didn't look like sheriff good they like gave him different facial hair they gave him like half the problem here is all the characters look the exact same like none of them looked any different even freaking tommy Tommy could have walked off the set of 1666 right onto the 17 whatever, and he wouldn't have known the difference. You'd be like, oh, there's Tommy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was it was just weird. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so what happens in 1666? What's the big reveal as to what's happening with the curse? All right, so fast forward of this is um, teens are getting high. Uh, Dina likes Sam. They make out, people see it, and they're like, wow, that's that's inappropriate at this time of, of era. Witches, uh, because the crops start failing. So that happens. Um, they put out a witch hunt for the two of them. Um, the first murder happens. So the, in the in the first movie, we learn about this preacher who killed some people. And so basically, mm-hmm. uh, Sam's father, or fat past Sam's father, uh, murders all the children in the village, cuts out their eyes, because uh, he's possessed and he's cray-cray. 
Um, and Solomon Good runs in, kills him. Good job, man. And Solomon Good is actually to be Dina's betrothed. Uh, that was kind of what was termed. Um, and after the witch hunt ensues and they decide to kill Dina, uh, she runs away to Solomon's house outside the preservation. Um, and we learn that actually what has been going on is Solomon Good uh, actually cursed the town by uh, basically offering up a sacrifice to the devil um, in order to give his family prosperity. Which we, we don't really see how that prosperity would take place back in 1666. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, he gets the fame of being the witch catcher and the murderer and the killer of and stopping the uh, ki- crazy preacher. I guess that's how that pans out. But basically, he starts a tradition with the good family where um, they will, every few years, 10 years, I don't know, whatever it is, they will uh, offer up a member of the community and they will be possessed and basically murder people to satisfy the bloodlust of a demon. So instead of it being Seraphir, who gets blamed for this in Hung, it is actually him doing it. And Seraphir's quote-unquote curse is actually non-existent. <laughs> yeah, she's just someone who got caught by the wayside because she fell in love with another woman and found out of Solomon's secrets and Solomon had her basically killed because of it um, through trying to convince everyone that she's a witch. So, And the one thing that yeah. I, I will say I do like about this is I did like Solomon's character at first. And like, oh, yeah. uh-huh. and like in the fact that when she comes out to him and he's like, hey, I love you regardless, I don't care. Like he's very supportive of her and her choices. And you're like, what a fucking nice guy. Um, yeah. And so then when that twist does... You know, he sums the demons. Yeah. Like when that twist comes, you kind of feel for him. And I do like uh-huh. that his... Part of his reasoning is like, and I think that maybe this was part of him lying to her, but he was just like, these people are shit. He's like, everybody here is an asshole. They're basically throwing you and your girlfriend under the bus because they're like not doing things well. So like, yeah. Yeah, he's basically a hermit. Uh Yeah, he's like, these guys deserve to fucking die. And I was like, oh, like, Mm -hmm. and my my mind was like, oh, does he kind of agree with her? Is he like, yeah, these people are persecuting you for nothing? Like, get fucked? Like, it, it almost seems like when he first says it to her, like he's like, we were in this together because we both hate these people and these people are, are you know, ostracizing us both. So we're in this together when he's trying to like explain to her why he's doing it. Um, but then you, but then you realize towards the end that he actually is spurned by the fact that she doesn't like him, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which is interesting. Cause I, I almost kind of bought into the idea of him being like, no, no, we're both on the outside. So we together, you know, you and I are like, we're buddies because these people are, are dicks. Uh, but then you learn, no, he actually was angry at her for liking past Sam. Uh, so that, 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 yeah. But then, and so, yes, yeah, so that's what we learn. Um, and then we get this weird kind of flash forward into the future because, um, then we're after that, after she gets hung, uh, we get, well, hang on a second. I want to, I want to go ahead oh, and yeah. talk a little bit about this reveal a little bit more. Yeah. So basically the whole reveal is Sarah fear is absolutely just some poor girl who got cut up on the wayside. There's no curse associated with her at all. The only really power she has is that whenever someone touches her bones or her body, she's able to impart um, visions of what happened to her in hopes that, you know, in the future, someone will come ahead and reveal, figure out that the good's behind it the whole time. So Seraphir, not evil at all. Goods are bad, which is a line in the movie. Someone says, are you telling me that good is actually bad? Or good is actually evil, and I'm just like I fucking love you. I, I forgot who said it. I think it was the brother, but I love it. <laughs> now, such a bad line. Here's my thing for you, Dan. When you first yes. in the first movie saw the name Sheriff Good, were you like, oh, I cast the villain? Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> okay, I was like, <laughs> as soon as that happened, I was just like, 
oh, you're an asshole. Like, I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. Like, you're you're <laughs> you're a clean cut policeman in a horror movie. Something's wrong with you. And again, that's a very R.L. Stein thing to do, though. So I was it was very tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So okay, but yeah, that's how it is. Uh huh. So that, okay, but go ahead. Sorry, this might answer part of my question. Wait, so was the reason people were being killed because they touched the bones and thus were at risk of revealing the secret? And yes. That's so. Did the the demons knew that? The demons knew when the bones were touched, and the demons knew that the bones possessed a magical power to impart wisdom onto those who touched it. Is that just a thing that they knew? Is that like is that what we're accepting here? Yes, that's just kind of the innate thing. Uh, I'm assuming you know the goods kind of set it up where that if anyone disturbs the bones in any sort of way and gets that vision, then the demons that's when they're activated and they're just like, oh, we got to kill them. And the way they track them down is by their blood, um, which is why if blood gets on somebody else, they'll kill that person as well. That's just kind of their demon power scent, whatever it is. And the reason why we haven't got the full vision before this is because Dina had to return all of the pieces of Seraphir's body to um, together. Uh, before that, it was just parts, you know, little bits and pieces, but now it was the whole real thing. So yes, that's that's the big reveal. It's still kind of janky to me, I don't know. Because the kids went and hid the body somewhere else so they couldn't find it. So how did he cast that extra curse? I want to know. But also... So, the, it so then, could like, have been him, it could have been a descendant, it could have been for a while, so... So then if it's after the bones, if yes. the person touched the bones, it's after the blood, and the blood's how they know... Then drowning the person from changing anything because that blood's still flowing through. That blood's still in that person's body. Like, when do these? When do they decide that this person is dead? When do they decide? Like, all right, all right. Probably we, when the heart stops beating or something like that. I'm satisfied. Okay, so they they have like crazy. Cra- <laughs> like, I know this supernatural movie now. Like, the the whole so the because the thing that kills me about this is like we basically went Sarah Fear like fuck it. It's like Sarah Fear has like nothing to do with this. <laughs> like this Fear Street movie, Sarah Fear has very little to do with this. Basically, all we really get from her is that she's like. I'll be there when you least expect it, Solomon Good, when she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, is hilarious because she makes this curse to Solomon Good, and it never really comes to pay off until, like, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, and who, like, she uh-huh. doesn't even know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, so we learned, yeah, that basically every year the goods, or every some amount of years, the goods go into that place, they sing their song, and they offer up a, a new person, and it's always a shady sider because mm-hmm. whatever... Uh, and this gives them like you know sheriff role you know gave gave his uh, sheriff goods brother mayoral duty of Sunnyside. Um, and what interests me about this is this means that like so we we hear that basically you know one gener every generation one person does this, but fucking sheriff good does this like four times because he does it when he's a kid he does it when he's an adult to get the kid in the radio shack he did it to Sam, so sheriff good like. Of all his family, he's just fucking going down there and pleasing that demon all the time. He's like, <laughs> he's he's adding names. Like you again? Yeah, he's addicted. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like, like wow, like why do you and like, and also the thing that I like to imagine is just like, you know, your little mini good and your father's bringing you down to this fucking cave in the middle of the woods, and it's like, this is where we come and we summon the demon and we what we 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 you know say some and chance this is where we keep the whiskey <laughs> it's just like i just like i, want, I just want to imagine that process of like so every you're gonna come down here for like 10 years you're gonna like say a name and that kid's gonna murder some people and hopefully it's no one you know good luck and also well, I, I got the sense that they knew it was shady side because like nobody from sunnyvale actually died so like i'm assuming when he released a kid it was just like okay kill the shady siders only but also like do you think do you think he made that like is that like, because I assume that all the prosperity of Shady Side comes from the goods, 
was my assumption. Like, uh, sorry, Sunnyside, yeah. Sunnyvale, all comes yeah. from the goods. But like, because at that point in time, Shadyside and Sunnyvale did not exist back in the past, right? So like, uh, not that point, no. So so at some point, the divide just came up, and they're like, all right. You're the half that's going to get murdered. We're the half that's not going to get murdered. Like, are, are all of those people, like, goods? Like, are all the Sunnyvalers, like, incest babies that, like, created Sunny, Sunnyside, Sunnyvale? Is that how that happened? <laughs> like, I just want to know how that divide came to be in the future. Um, and, like, is the prosperity of Sunnyvale in itself thanks to these sacrifices? Or is it just the good family? Because it's presented as the good family. But it seems like Sunnyvale in general is doing fucking great. Oh, yeah, no, I think the goods are just like, this is our town, we're going to keep it prosperity, and then I'm assuming at some point Shady Side wrapped themselves up, and the goods were just like, yeah, you know what, fuck this town, somebody needs to be sacrificed, it's going to be them. So, I, I just assume it kind of naturally came from that. I guess, yeah, and I, well, I guess, like, too, like, you know, the cultural depression that occurs when, you know, 20 people get murdered once every 10 years yeah. probably isn't great. Yeah. Um, Doesn't do well for property values, yeah. Why has nobody fucking left that town? Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, that being said, there are some great scenes, though, where they kind of show the disparity between the two areas, which is awesome. Uh, not awesome, but, well, good scene planning. Um, okay, yeah, so let's hop back into the present 1999. Uh, so what happens yeah, a- after so, that? <laughs> so um, about an hour into 1666, um, we fully realized that Sheriff Good... Um, Ziggy's lover, I guess, crush, um, was uh, put in, is really behind it all, and his family as well. So we find that out, and then we go back to 1994, which is where our conclusion of the series ends, um, part two of 1994, trying to figure out exactly what happens there. And long story short, it's a big ensemble where they meet up with a bunch of other characters, Sheriff Good is chasing them down, and they realize the only way to stop this curse is to stop Sheriff Good. So they bring them all back to the mall, and there's a big, massive battle on that front, um, and they eventually do come out on top. And I know I'm skimming a lot of it in there, but uh, Andrew, what do you think of the second half of the movie? Uh, you know, not... Better than the first half. I thought it was like I thought actually the, the second half was pretty good. Um, I like yeah, me too. I, I like that they're smart. Again, it's it's very childish. It's very home alone-ish of like using. Okay, they they do like so they're like uh, you know in the first movie we saw them use blood and I was like all right kind of weird. In this movie they they fucking mix blood and they like dilute like maybe like four drops of blood in like a gallon or two gallons of fucking water. And I just, like, I, I know that, like, sharks can smell blood a certain distance maybe from water, but, like, is that really effective? Like, will the zombies be like, oh, man, a very small trace amount of blood in this in this water here? Or will they just go after fucking <laughs> Sam? Because Sam is there. Or mm-hmm. Dina, I guess, in this case. Because I guess it got transferred to Dina because she touched the bones and it can only go after one of them. Um, yeah, I also got the impression they weren't very smart and they were operating more on base instinct. So, especially at the point when they, like, they soak all the other serial killers in blood and they all start attacking each other back and forth. Which, again, if it's just the blood on them that makes them kill people, why would Sam dying stop them from trying to kill her? Because their blood's still there. And they, apparently they'll go after blood that's, like, peed on the ground. Uh, I, what, what the fuck? <laughs> um, okay, so think about it this way. You know, if let's go with a cat or something like that. You know, the cats or dogs are very, very good at scent and tracking people down. The blood is the sense, but once they actually kill, they know that that blood is dead or that owner is dead, and they just kind of let it go at that point. That's that the hunter prey mechanic I was kind of looking for. I still don't agree, but 
Okay. Um, uh, but I think you're forgetting one of the best parts of this movie. Okay, go for it. Who, who's the best character oh, in this movie? Oh, shit. I forgot his name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Who's the best character in this movie? Oh, the graffiti dude. Yes, he's great. He is. I don't remember his name. I have it written down somewhere here. But uh, we, we see him a couple times. He, he's in the first movie. Um, as, as Jacob? What? Martin. Martin, yeah, Martin. Martin is the fucking yes, best Martin. character. Oh, he's great. I want, I want the Martin fucking movie. Martin is amazing. So he's, he's the janitor of this place, or the custodian, whatever you call it, of the mall. And he is the best. He just, like, goes along with them. They're like, we need to do this. Um, so, like, you know, you, 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 we'll help you out. So he, he shows them in. He teaches them all about the, uh, um, all about, like, the different doors they have and stuff and how to lock them. And he, I, I can't remember what he says, um, but he, like... They go up to him and they're like, uh, Martin, they pull up to his house and he's like, want to help us kill Sheriff Good? He's like, yeah, let me get my coat. And I'm like, best response. He, he's amazing. Um, and uh, so they, they basically make the plan that they're going to like spread this blood around the ground and it will go into these, uh, you know, stores and they'll drop the gates. And I forget how he describes the gates, but he says they'll like fly down super fast in a really cool way. Uh, oh gosh, he knows those gates like the back of his hand. He's just like, this is a uh, you know T three hundred twenty you know steel plated gates. You know this thing can hold a lion if need be. And he's just he's basically like a gate salesman. It's great. Do you remember what he says though? He said he says something. He describes them somehow. I'm trying to Google a quote. He like he says something that I I, I for some reason I wrote down great quote, but then I didn't write down the quote. Um, damn it. Anyway. Uh, so he agrees to go along with them. And I do love it, though, because all these kids, like, you know, these kids get together. It's like four kids, no, three kids, right? Dina, Sam, Sam, or Sam's possessed, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, little brother. And then they're the two adults. And the two kids just are like, all right, we're going to do this, this, and this. And the adults are like, all right. And, like, Dina gives this big pep talk about, like, we're going to kill him. Oh, you know, we're a shady, shady side. We got this. And, like, it's these two adults listening to this fucking, like, teenager tell them, like... <laughs> Trying to bow them up, get them ready for, uh, you know, risking their lives, essentially. And I was just like, wow, this is dumb as fuck. Um, (laughs) So this is a cool ending. I think it's it's helpful for the movie. But did you ever just kind of think to yourself, like, why don't they just go get a gun and shoot Sheriff Good? Like, why this crazy, like, (laughs) like, this is a big spectacle just to, like, kill a Sheriff Good, right? Mm -hmm. This is a lot. Just to kill Sheriff Good. Because we learned at the end that by killing Sheriff Good, they get rid of all the demons and everything. It's not like they hang around for a while yeah. and there's any they imperative. The right? Like, it's, uh-huh. it's not like the, these these demons are still going to go and try to, like, at least kill the last person, you know, as their last assignment before he died. Right? They disappear. So they could have just gone anywhere and shot him. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And then also, too, they, like, they completely dress up the mall, too. Like, they use glow-in-the-dark ink and paint and all that sort of thing. Like, they completely... We completely revamp them all. But did, did you think to yourself when I saw them, they wrote all this stuff about, you know, good is bad, good sucks. And I'm like, hey guys, maybe take that spray paint and not the glow in the dark kind so that everyone can see it and just be like, just so you guys know, Sheriff Good has been killing people. So if we die here, please kill him. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> explain it to somebody like, Sheriff Good has been in charge of the murders or some, some or Sheriff Good is behind the murders. Check under the basement and find this giant freaking like, thing that nobody can deny and he cannot cover up like just... it's like the scene from austin powers where um oh gosh what's his name that's got a dr evil son is just like i have a gun in my room right now give me five minutes i'll go up grab it shoot him right here bam done easy over with 
Uh, yep. That was, I just didn't understand that. And there's even like a scene to, uh, okay, sorry, this, this entire ending, I, I know I just said I liked it, but I also hate it because it's just, there's so much dumb, I, I don't know, it's, it's dumb. Um, but yeah, so, so they do this, zombies show up, zombies stab each other. Um, the weird scene where Sarah, what was her name? Um, what was, was Latino, Ziggy, Ziggy, Ziggy distracts good so she can pour blood on him. Uh-huh. Again. Yes. Okay, cool. But like, she, it's this big dramatic callback to when they talked about Carrie in the second movie. And like, dude, again, mm-hmm. squirt gun full of blood would work just as well. <laughs> like, any, yeah, especially any. Especially since she gets some blood on her. It's like a big bucket of blood that's dumped on both of them. And then like Ziggy steps out of the way and she obviously gets a little bit on her. And it's just like, well, of course, you know, what do you expect to happen? It's like, also, this guy's proven he's fine with killing people. What, what if he just shot? He hasn't seen you in fucking like 20 years. Why what if he just shoots you? <laughs> like, oh, there she is. Boom. <laughs> well, there, there goes the person who knows my secret. Like, that was his plan, right? To go there and kill them? <laughs> I mean, I don't think that would be that bad kill her and then blame her on killing the kids like immediately done uh i don't know it's it's weird um yeah so okay so, so that that happens uh how, how does it end uh dan how, how does how does this come to a conclusion so yeah it it eventually ends with dina escaping down to the caverns we find out in part two um with the satan hearts and the um individual um summoning circle below the caverns beneath them all and of course good and sam escape and make their way down there while everyone else is dealing with the serial killers that have popped back up again and eventually what happens is dina and sheriff good are struggling dina makes him touch the demon hearts which gives him basically paralyzes him with visions back and forth or was it sarah freya's hand was it the demon heart or her, her hand it was the, it was the it was the demon heart okay yeah and so then yeah it's um he basically touches it and he's filled with all sort of visions and that sort of thing and then dina takes that time while he's incapacitated to kill him and a new dawn breaks, all the serial killers vanish away, and the curse is lifted. So Dina and Sam make their way up, and they find themselves through a hidden passage outside the mall into Good's actual house. And we see a shot of the family tree and all the people that have been sacrificing them. And then they walk outside, and they see a sunny Valor kind of walking out to their car, driving off, and getting smashed in with the truck. The implication being that now that the curse is lifted, bad things are going to happen to Sunnyvale as well. And the movie pretty much ends um, a little bit after that with Sam and Dina reconciling their relationship and, you know, all of that. And then we do get the post-credits sooner. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. Is there anything you want to add? No, I think it wraps up pretty quick like that. I, I did so like yeah. So he touched the heart, and I think he saw the dead, the people. He saw the, the killers killing people, right? So she saw Sarah Fear's life. He saw, the killers killing mm-hmm. people, right? Is that what is that what happened? Yeah. So I, I guess I kind of yeah. yeah. So he's seeing the yeah, the devil side. Which devil? Way to screw your buddy over first off. Um, and so <laughs> and right before he dies, yeah, Sarah Fear's behind him. And she's like, I told you I'd be with you, and it's like, yo, Sarah Fear, shut the fuck up. It's been like. It's been like 300 years and you've done nothing. <laughs> like, don't don't take credit for this girl stabbing him in the face. That's not you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And then the one thing I did find interesting or I found kind of funny is at the end, so after this whole murder scene takes place at the mall, 
they kind of pan back through the Shadyside Mall, you know, like, oh, look, Shadyside Mall is open again. You know, there's still murder there, like, a few weeks ago, and then there, this fucking thing happened, and there's dead cops there and stuff. And then it goes into, like, the bathroom area. And again, there's still just, like, a fucking, like, somebody just put a grate over a cave, like, right? Because underneath that little grate that they sneak into, there's a cave. And that cave is the, the murder Lowest cave. Lowest bitter. Lowest bitter. It's just like, what? Like, because then, then, <laughs> then they go underneath the cave, and there's, like, tape, like, don't go here and stuff. I'm like, so you guys weren't like, wow, there's a there's literally just, like, a piece of metal here. Some people from going into a cave system underneath Shadyside, uh, where there's, like, mm-hmm. all this murder happened. And also, like, couldn't, like, animals get underneath there? Like, this seems like a really bad thing to have. Like, who the fuck made this? And, <laughs> yeah. um, I think that, that's my last nitpick. That was just dumb. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I did like, too, and we're just kind of jumping back a little bit forth. We always assumed that Sarah Freer cut off her own hand in terms of, like, a ritual or something like that. And then we find out, no, it's just her hand was cut off by Solomon during a struggle when she was trying to escape after she found out who he was. I did like that touch. Yeah, that, yeah, that was that was that was a nice reveal. Like I, that's the thing I will say yeah. is I think the sixteen sixty six thing did prove a nice little reveal. I thought that like for the terrible fucking flashback for the terrible whatever the fuck is going on with the actors, like the information it gave us was cool, but the mm-hmm. the wishbone aspect just killed me. Um, <laughs> that's that, yeah. that that's like that's that's the unfortunate part about it is I think that, that so I think this movie could have been better. I think this movie would have been above number one for me if that was the case. Uh, but I, I would much rather, 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 rather uh, sit through the teen drama there that occurs with some deaths along the way than watch... Wishbone. Yeah, than Wishbone. Than watch, like, I think it's I love Wishbone, but I just... <laughs> if this was actually... I love Wishbone so damn much. If I was watching Wishbone, I'd be so much more pleased. <laughs> I would love to see them recreate this movie with Wishbone and have Dina yeah. be played by Wishbone. He'll go on and be like, oh... <laughs> this murder is happening and so then yep and then just uh we do get our postcard standard at the very end because of course it's an rl stein book uh the camera zooms in on the demon summoning circle which has been roped off into a crime scene and one of the books that's used to find the ritual to summon the demon uh mysterious figure takes the book and then the screen goes black and we don't know who it is but hey we got set up for a sequel and that is the Fear Street Trilogy. So overall, Andrew, I think we've got our impressions pretty well down. Anything else you want to add? No, no you know. So if you were to give it a letter, letter grade for the whole series, what would you give it? I would probably give it a B minus, C plus. I think, well, first off, we're switching away from numbers now. Now we're doing yet letters. I, I just feel like, you know, people prefer different grading systems. I think, we should, I think individual movies get numbers, but to avoid the averaging process... The whole series gets a letter. See my, see my process there? I, see that? See that process? Yeah. I get you. I get you. I get you. No, I did enjoy this series. I did have a lot of fun watching it. I felt the kills were great. I thought the story structuring was really interesting, too. I liked a few of the twists. I liked a lot of the characters. Like, overall, I, I, I did really enjoy this series. Is it, you know, a fantastic horror movie? Oh, definitely not. Does it know what it wants to be? Oh, definitely. And is it a faithful recreation of the Fear Street books? Yeah, I'd say they did a really good job in terms of that front. And I, I, I really like this model in terms of the three movies, almost like a mini series and one after another. I am so glad they put it on Netflix and they did not release it in theaters because I would not have seen this in theaters. Absolutely not. No, I, I'm the exact same boat. I think grade wise, yeah, C plus, B minus. Like for all the shit I gave it, like I do think it, you know it was pretty enjoyable. There's definitely a lot worse movies out there. Um, I just watched Leprechaun back to the, no Leprechaun in the hood last night. 
and god damn it that movie is terrible so like this i can't like after watching that movie i can't really complain about other movies um so like i i, I thought yeah i thought like you know it wasn't it wasn't amazing I've, I've said a lot of stuff about it but again i think it's worth a watch i think it's like I think it like I, if there are more movies being if every year like Halloween time or summertime we get a movie like this I would be happy because I think it's like it's harmless there's some cool elements and again like you said I think the the storytelling aspect is really creative and I would love to see that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I would recommend checking it out. Just uh, there's there's some dumb stuff on there and apparently if you're a massive Wishbone fan, uh, part three is going to be really rough for you. But if you're not, it should be okay. Everyone's a massive Wishbone fan. That's not even we don't need to say that. <laughs> wishbone is the the greatest thing all right well we had an extra lot of episode today for three movies but we all got it wrapped up uh any final thoughts andrew oh yeah i thought we should do a couple shout outs real quick uh so uh again i know i said this last time i I preempted it but um our buddy the swedish horror movie nerd um he did uh release his first episode of his podcast it's called uh a swedish horror corner and so right now um he just kind of posted the first episode he's profile the halloween movies he just did his first one uh with he kind of basically is doing an episode where he kind of works with a different podcast each time to talk about um what they thought of it and their experience with it and the first one was with um because you were home which i believe is an irish podcaster i do apologize if, if i'm incorrect there um incorrect there but uh it, it was great i listened to the first episode um he actually added a lot of information that i didn't know uh which is awesome and he definitely you can tell he's researched a lot so i definitely suggest go give it a listen um i know it's on spotify i don't think it's on itunes yet um, but he has one episode up now. I think he's releasing Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Um, so the next episode should be up pretty soon. Um, I believe Dan and I are going to do Halloween 5 with him, I think. Um, so that would be fun. Um, so, yeah, definitely go check him out. He's he's awesome. Um, he's He's been such a great guy. And I, I, it's really, it is a, a great podcast to listen to. How about yourself, Dan? Awesome, awesome. Uh, other thing too, definitely we want to give a thank out to our opening band. That is Horror Movie Story by the band Teddy's Atlas. You can get them off the album Children of the Corn. Good, good Canadian boys. Man, I love those Canadian boys. I, 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 know, I know you do. Thank that. you so much for using the uh, <laughs> opening theme song. Appreciate it, guys. All right, cool. Uh, do we have anything in the pipeline in terms of what our next episode is going to be? I feel like we've talked about it, but like, can I remember it? Uh probably not it was some childhood movie you wanted to see because you compared it to uh sleep stock oh god web web webs webs web was it webs it's probably webs 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 so so the movie i i so this um just like sleep stalker the movie we reviewed um, probably a year ago at this point uh there's a movie called webs it was on the sci-fi channel uh decade ago probably and from what i remember it is about a group of construction workers who find a portal in a construction site which sends them to another dimension where there are, are like spider zombie people. Sounds huh. sounds like probably the best movie I've ever heard of. Um, I, I say after shitting all over this very well made movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe it, I think it's on it's on YouTube. I found so we can check it out there. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll do that for next episode. Sounds good. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for listening and stay groovy. Bye.